Can you talk about some of like the biggest failures that you've had in your life? That, oh, the biggest failures. That have propelled you forward? Wow. Right. So, I mean, I, now that I'm forward, I don't call them failures, right? So uh, they're lessons. When they were happening, right? Lessons. So, you know, found out I was having a child at 16 years old, right? And, uh, wow. you know, a lot of people are like, oh, your life's over. Your biggest mistake ever. You're supposed to go to college and play basketball, right? And it was like uh, devastating. Like, oh, what did I do? And uh, totally propelled me forward uh my daughter constantly jokes all the time she said dad i'm proud of you i watch you grow up like it's like an inside joke between us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's hilarious right i'm like stop saying that but uh, <laughs> you know, but you know but kind of in a way right she was there when i graduated high school you know she walked across the stage with me you know for graduation like she's been there for a while and um you know that was some people call it a mistake but uh it uh it propelled you know made me focus and tighten up you know i made mistakes uh you know, family-wise, whether it be, uh, you know, in marriage, we make mistakes all the time. Maybe raising your voice too loud or maybe not telling an absolute truth when you should tell absolute truth. These are just mistakes that we make. And you have the consequence that comes from those things. And you can either, you know, move forward past those consequences or sit in them and just, uh, you know, what was me? And uh, mm-hmm. this is the biggest mistake ever and life's going to. No, I don't think like that. You know, it's okay, you failed, move on. And how can we not do the same thing again next time, yeah. right? Um, but you don't know until you try. You don't feel the pain until you fail. And um, so that's one uh, there in business. Um, several uh, different mistakes. Uh, I had a car business at one point in time where I was selling used cars. I was driving to New York City, buying cars, bringing them here to Delaware and reselling them. I was bri- driving them back with no tags on them. I was parking them in parking lots that I didn't own. And I was, some of the times they got towed away, uh, pulled over by police. These are mistakes mm-hmm. that you learn, right? But when you don't have any money for a parking lot, you just take the risk. Um, you know, even currently, like I said, we we just talking about the factoring situation, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you misjudge a simple calculation. And then the factoring company says, no, more factoring for you. Now you're scrambling, trying to figure out how do I get all my people paid, payroll seventy five thousand or a hundred thousand dollars in a week. It's mm-hmm. Tuesday, and I got twenty grand sitting aside for it, and you got to scramble, right? And then um, you get through it, you say, <sighs> right, and mm-hmm. you try not to do it again ever again, right? And um, so these are things that you learn in business. Um, we said part of that trial and error type of deal. You know, some some shots are, are a success. Sometimes you win. Uh, but sometimes you fall flat on your face and you got to push yourself up, dust off mm-hmm. and keep going. Just period. Yeah. Welcome to the Not a Genius Podcast. My name is Jesse. My name is Josh. And today we are at Lula's in Newcastle, Delaware with my guy, Paige. What's up, man? How you doing, buddy? How you doing? How you fellas doing? Good. You? I'm excited, man. Excited to be here with you guys today and uh, excited to be on the podcast. Thank you guys for coming on out. Thank you for having us. Yes, sir. Thank you for the water as well. Oh, no problem. No problem. Man. You're a really impressive dude. I got to have coffee with you about two weeks ago. Yeah, and man. You guys are impressive too. Met you at the barbershop and it's like, dude, there's an amazing network, amazing energy coming out of that barbershop. He even signed up for Damien's membership. I did. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I'm out here trying to help the community and teaching Damien some sales skills. I was just like, yo, go go call Josh. He he wants to cl- uh he wants to be a customer. Like, close on him, bro. That's right. And I was just like, Damien, just call him right now and ask him like, when's the next time you're gonna be in the shop? And then just Hit him with the offer and it. make make him an offer that he sounds stupid for by turning down. That's right. That's right. right. Make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Now we're both members. Yeah. 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 I've, been, I've been a member for about two years now. So, um, you know, we appreciate the service they offer there. It's all about good quality service. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing 100%. network being part of that barbershop. But yeah, Paige, um, 
Really appreciate you for allowing us to do this podcast in your space. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself so you know everyone can learn about who Ronell Page is? Wow, man, it's a it's a, it's a big ask. Hopefully, I can you know answer the question. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I grew up in this area right here in Newcastle, Delaware. Um, I grew up in a mixed family, uh, like a fostered family, raised by some family members. Uh, my mother and father tried their best but needed some help from people from the community and family to help raise me. So uh, that's a huge part of who I am. Uh, uh, you know, a, a father, a husband, um, a man of faith, um, serial entrepreneur. You know, I'm probably one of the most risky people, uh, most people have ever met, but I like to take risk um, for the uh, expectation of a great reward, you know. So that's uh, a little bit about me. Uh, here, we're here at Lula's. Lula's is my mother's nickname. She grew up as Lula. Her name was Iris Jones. Um, my mother and father both passed away about 45 days apart from one another um, last year. And um, I wanted to do something here to honor my mom and dad. So we named a restaurant here after her, Lula's. And then we're going to name a, a bar after my dad. His name was uh, Petey. Uh, so we're just excited to be able to share memories with you know, my family, my kids, of my mom and some things we got going on here. Wow. That's really awesome. Yeah. So, so how did you get started in business? So, oddly enough, right, I was uh, 18 years old. I was introduced to uh, actual business by a guy named uh, uh, Brian O'Neill, Kenneth Staub, and a gentleman named Kevin Washington. And they talked me up to me about uh, financial services and insurance and investing and told me I should get licensed in those areas. So uh, between 18 and 19 years old, I got my uh, life insurance and health insurance license, my Series 663 uh, licenses, and I started selling, right? I started learning the art of sales. Um, I also had a mentor named Roger Turner who owned the clothing store, and I was um, his lead salesperson there. So I learned how to sell there. I worked with him from the time I was 14 until uh, he, the business closed down. And um, so I knew sales, but I really didn't learn business uh, until I was probably like 24 or 25 years old. And uh, I learned that business is a person who – has a system or takes part in a system that can run independent of themselves. And around 25 years old, I put, started putting my mind down uh, in books and started reading and applying things of how can I establish businesses versus just being a great salesperson or a self-employed individual. So what was that mindset shift like going from, well, was the beginning, the first venture, it was Primerica? Is that what it was? Yeah, so the first venture with the insurance investment was the Primerica Financial Services. I am a regional vice president with them. I was one of Delaware's first regional vice presidents um, ever, uh, youngest um, ever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we built a big team, uh, competed top 25 in the United States, and um, had an amazing time, lots of fun doing that. And into my core is still helping people with their finances and teaching about insurance and investing. So I'll never, ever get that up. That's to the core of who I am. And I still hold all my licenses and everything and have family members insured with us. So yeah. um, that's big, it's a huge part of who I am. Yeah. So what was that mindset shift going from prior to Primerica, then during the time? And then you said that you, you wanted to be a businessman around 24, 25 years old, like going from being a salesperson to a business person. What's yeah. that progression look like? Yeah. You know, um, the Great Recession hit me like smack on in 2008, 2009. Mm. You know, I was big in sales. I had a mortgage license. I was doing lots of mortgages, lots of insurance. And when that recession hit, a lot of people lost their jobs. And, um, you know, clients just weren't able to qualify for loans and buy homes. And, um, you know, my sales income dropped. And when you're self-employed, uh, you're unemployed every day. Literally every day you got to get up and go out and make a sale to feed, <laughs> yeah. you know, your yeah. family. And when people aren't buying – you're not making money, no matter how good your skills are. If people don't have the money to pay for the service you're rendering, 
you had a business. So I started finding, you know, other individuals that doors were still open in there. They were still driving those cars. The kids still go to those schools. These are people who had businesses that really were independent of whether or not they could sell or not sell, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I wanted to, even in Primerica, the people who had the huge teams that were, you know, like hundreds of other people licenses versus themselves, you know, their business may took a hit, but they're still living a quality of life that they can afford because people are still making some money and they're making money. Um, so that was kind of like a mind, mental shift. I was like, I'm not going to let this happen to me again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to build a business, multiple business, to where if one takes a hit, another one can still feed my family and, and have income coming in. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like, um, well, you have your hands in a lot of things. And even when you're doing sales, um, are you have you always been like that where you're selling mortgages, insurance, everything <laughs> at once? or? It's funny that you asked that question. Um, uh, when I was in uh, high school, I started a potato chip selling business, you know, candy and potato chips, right? And, um, you know, I would go out and buy a bunch of potato chips for like 20 cents and then come back and sell them to kids and then um, buy juices and sell them. And then I was kind of not selling as many juices I wanted because they were getting warm in the lockers. So I started freezing them in overnight and then putting them in the lockers. And then I started running other people's lockers that weren't using them and putting frozen juices in there. But then I realized I was getting burnt out. I mean, I got to go to school, so I got to go to class. So I started like splitting profits with people in the school, like, hey, buddy, let me use your locker. You sell, I'll send people to your locker. You sell them the stuff and you can keep like, you know, 20 cents. Sometimes they just wanted chips and juices for themselves and, you know, made money. So, you know, I remember making like, you know, $200 a week, wow. like at school. You That's know, as a, as a 15, 16 year old kid, it was like amazing. Like, I'm just selling chips and juices. And it all went well until the administration found out and they shut it down. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was a good run. So I think wanting more, uh, wanting better and to build a team was always in me. I just didn't have the uh, means to do so and the knowledge of actually how to implement that for a long period of time. Yeah. And why did you want to do business? Yeah. So uh, funny story. My father worked for Chrysler uh, Mm -hmm. Corporation for 33 years. Right. And um, man, uh, my brothers and I had it rough, man. It's, uh, you know, we didn't see dad much. Not because he was a deadbeat, not because he didn't want to be around his children. He was always at work. He was a company man, right? He was a guy that wanted to work 30 years, get that gold watch and, you know, hang up a plaque and says, hey, yeah. I did 30, right? So he worked all the overtime, you know, and his justification was, hey, somebody's got to put food on the table, right? Um, you know, now being a father, I realize that time is more important than money. You know, children can't, you know, they, they want you to be there when they hit that winning, winning shot. And I saw what a job does. You know, a job takes time away from you being able to do what you really want to do in life. And I said, not me. When my kids have something, I'll be there at everything, every single thing. And I realized that business is the only way to do it. Every business owner that I knew, no matter if they were profitable or not, if their children had something that was important, they were there. They wouldn't miss it. And I just said, I'm going to be that guy. You know, my son got a basketball tournament. I'm there. Right. So my wife, she's in business with me now. So we don't miss a thing. Like whatever's going on, my son had a band concert the other day mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. I mean, like, I don't know, 10 in the morning, right? To 12. If I had a job, I'd probably be at work at that point in time. My wife and I were able to sit there and watch the whole entire thing and then take my son out to lunch and, you know, those type of things. So it's mm-hmm. important to me. It's, it's awesome, important to me. Going back um, to the sales, what was that like? Like <laughs> se- selling the, um, you said clothes? Yeah, clothing. Was that like right. a commission thing or was that? Yeah, yeah. So it, w- it was more so like a, it was weird. It was a small business. We didn't really have a, an official commission structure, right? It was more like a go get them and a good old boy type of thing, right? But you would get some perks and, you know, maybe a free outfit. But it was really just mm-hmm. that, 
you know, accomplishment of saying I did it. Right. And I remember when I first came in, didn't know anything about clothing. I didn't even wear dress clothes myself. It was a men's suit store. And um, just watching the guy who was like magically like selling clothes. Like he could like see somebody walk in and he knew their shirt size or neck size or cuff size. Like he could just spot them um, from the door. And I'm like, this guy's a magician. I'd never be that good. And, um, but just watching this guy and learning how to do alterations and sew and becoming a tailor, I started learning these sizes and I would see people coming off the street and I'd be just like him. Hey, you're a 10 and a half shoe. Right. I'm like, you're a medium. You're a 32 waist. Your inseam is a 29 and a half. And they'd be like blown away. And people want to buy from me just because I knew this crap. <laughs> right. Like people are like, look, if you measure my neck, if I'm actually an 18 and a half, I'll buy that shirt. Right. And I would pull it out and measure it and boom. Right. And then, you know, so it became like a fun and became a gimmick, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we became like family in that place. Right. And everything was warm and people would refer people to refer people. And he would like people would bring their sons in or bring their brothers in and say, hey, what size is he? What size is he? And I guess their size and measure. I told you, I told you to do it. Right. And, you know, a little tricks you learn to do, like, you know, you measure somebody's neck and it's possibly a half the size of their waist, stuff like that. You know, it's always these type of yeah. gimmicks that you learn uh, in, in a game. So uh, it was fun. I mean, really fun. I got to see people smile when you got them something they actually wanted. Mm-hmm. But maybe didn't even know they wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. So sales is really just convincing somebody to buy something that they probably didn't know that they wanted. Not saying that you're pushing it on them, but you're in a suit store to buy a suit. Mm-hmm. But you just didn't know you wanted to spend four hundred dollars <laughs> for for a suit. But I got to sell you on the fact of why it's important to own this suit and the quality suit and how it should fit you. So it was it was fun. So going from like the the progression of being potato chip salesman to yeah. being suit salesman, I was like, we're in a restaurant, and then you're also doing education like yeah. recruiting it's just like yeah a lot of different industries like josh was saying earlier you it seems like you have your hands in a lot of different things like how do you do all these different things and how do you uh like where does all this passion come from for these different industries do they connect at all yeah I mean, besides the potato chip thing but like you know, you know yeah. um uh, one of my one of my uh, mentors, and when I say mentor, doesn't mean I actually know these people, right? Some of my mentors I've never met in my life. I read their book or listened to their audios over and over and over again. Uh, like a guy named Art Williams, who my children call Uncle Art, who I've never met. He's eighty something years old, mm-hmm. and uh, but I listen to him. I can repeat his thing verbatim. And um, he said, if you can create a business in an essential area, right? You think, well, what are essential? So I was in clothing, tailoring, and things. It's clothing is an essential area. People are always mm-hmm. gonna need. Clothing, um, a restaurant business, food is an essential area. People always will need that. Education. I mean, last I checked, everyone child has to go to school somewhere yeah. or they'll lock you up. <laughs> right. So it's, a, so it's an essential. Like when, when, when COVID hit, right, the essential workers were able to go out and work. Right. So educational school teachers, nurses, they were able to go out and work. You had to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create businesses in essential areas. So um, even in our uh, think about it in our. My insurance business, uh, like insurance is very, very important. I mean, you have a car, the law says you have to have car what? Car insurance. insurance, right? Yeah. You know, when, you know, people are going to die. It's just a thing. So life insurance is always going to be needed. If you buy a home, you got to have homeowners what? Insurance. insurance, right? So, you know, these are essential things that I, you know, I wanted to be a part of. And so I can always make sure that we can have a steady income. And you never know what your children are going to, want to do. So I didn't want to be the guy that says, okay, I'm a construction guy. Mm-hmm. And now my sons are going to be construction guys. Because what happens if your son doesn't want a construction guy, right? No, mm-hmm. but if we have a construction company, a transportation company, insurance company, restaurant business, education business, one of those things the children might say, hey, I want to take that and run with it. 
And I truly believe that my future or my business's future is going to be better because my children will be better than I am. I mean, I'm teaching them right now. You got to be better than dad, right? So I hold on to them so hard because you got to be better than me, right? They didn't have the grit or determination I had to have from growing up how I grew mm-hmm. up. They got a little bit easier. So I got to hold it on them a different way just so they can become tougher, so they can be better, you know, than dad was. Yeah. How are you doing that? Yeah. So, um, you know, my sons, uh, they run a very rigorous schedule, right? And I kind of have them do it like autonomously. So there's like no days off here. Um, here, even at our restaurant, we uh, <laughs> pack out every single day. So kids have to go to school every day. Uh, my sons play sports and uh, they're in like band and, and chorus and things at their school. Um, but also here, when they come to the restaurant after school, we have music lessons on Mondays, art classes on Tuesdays. Uh, we have chess club on Wednesdays. We have um, uh, uh, cooking classes and, uh, um, you know, um, we call it like uh, coding classes to teach them how to code, right? So it's like no, it's nonstop. On the weekends, we're either like cleaning one of the properties or uh, going down and doing some ATV things or, you know, working with firearms, just always staying actively doing something, you know, uh, if they want to stay home and watch TV, they're going to have to do that when I'm asleep. I don't sleep much. So, you know, we kind of make sure they understand the importance. We do things like feeding the homeless, giving out clothing, um, just trying to stay as active in the community as possible. And um, so for the most part, my sons get it. Like, Dad, it's a struggle out here. You got to work hard. Um, I randomly wake up early, even on the weekends. Let's go. Dad's up. Son's up. Let's go. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so so we kind of, you know, make it fun. Um, if they look at their peers, their peers probably be like, you guys are crazy. Why are you always doing stuff? But, you know, if I look at my peers, my peers look at me. Paige, you're crazy. Why are you always doing stuff? You can relax. You can chill. I relax one day, just not two days, right? Um, so so that's just how we'd run it. You know, my my daughter, uh, she's a she's a freak. When I say freak, I mean like a phenom. Like she's uh, was valedictorian in high school. She's at Penn State University right now. I'm going to school to be a medical doctor, works a full-time job um, in the evening. So she goes to class from 7 in the morning until 3 p.m., and then she works a full-time job as a nurse. Like she's actually a nurse right now until 3 in the morning, right? Yeah. And it's not something that I told her to do. She just picked that up, picked it up, like this is what we do. And right now she's in the Dominican Republic. She goes to London next month in Africa in June. So we believe in you work hard, and then you play hard, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, but, it's, you know, we just want to make sure that that's the standard that we're holding across the whole entire team, which is my family. Dude, that's so awesome. Like, the more you talk about that, and then I look at Lulu's schedule, Lula's schedule, which is like on the wall. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, on the wall. Yeah, it's so like you'll know. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> all Monday through Sunday, basically. Oh, you got music <laughs> lessons, you got art lessons, you got chess, coding, uh, you got business and leadership, and you know, you got game night, all these different things. And are your, your children, they're part of these things as well? It's mandatory. So your kids are there as well. It's, it's like, it's not optional. And then you have, <laughs> Other kids in the community who also maybe their parents want to push their kids to yes. do the same thing. It's like through association, you guys get better. For sure. And you guys find uh, basically your tribe. Yeah, for sure. For like, sure. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I believe, like I, like I said, my, my oldest son plays the uh, saxophone and piano. My youngest son plays the trumpet and piano. And um, it takes work to get good at these things. You're going to be bad before you're good. And, um, you know, sometimes they go out and they perform and they don't do well. And it, it, if, if they feel it. It hurts them. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But I tell them, look, you keep working hard, you get better, then one day you'll be top dog. You'll be number one. Right now, son, you're on the basketball team, you sit on the bench. But we got to go through that sitting on the bench period so we can understand how to be a follower before we become a leader. And these things will all play out in life later on. So, um, you know, it's fun to watch them grow. 
Um, I'm growing through the process as well, you know, learning how to be a father, a better husband, all these things. Um, but you just don't give up. Just keep on trying and pushing and trying your best, and it'll work out eventually. Mm-hmm. So you said you're not going to rest until one day. <laughs> yeah, what, so one day, right? What uh, is that day? You know, work-wise, yet day because the night come when no man shall work. It's written in a very popular book. And, um, you know, right now, uh, children are young, and uh, work as parents are to pour into them. You know, got a wife who... Um, you know, needs her husband and got a community that needs a leader. And there's going to be a come a time where it's time for me to pass the torch, where I will be the wise man just giving knowledge to the young man. Right now, I'm still kind of like the young man. I'm in my 30s, and I'm pulling on the wisdom of some of the older ones, and they're looking at me and saying, run, young man, run, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure I stay in line. Like, if I sit back and stop running now, I can't tag the wise man and say, hey, run. He's already ran. His time is up. I can't tag the immature super young person like my sons yet, they need an example to follow, right? So um, that time is going to come. Not sure when exactly, maybe 45, maybe 55, but definitely not mid-30s. So, you know, right now we're running full steam ahead and um, blazing trails. That's, that's what we're doing right now. I'm learning as much as I can through trial and error. Mm-hmm. Most people say trial and error, but they're afraid of error. Mm-hmm. Error is a part of it. It literally is trial and error. Try and fail. Yeah. And then try again and fail again. And then eventually, you know, you'll figure it out. So that's where we are right now. Can you talk about some of like the biggest failures that you've had in your life? That oh, have, the biggest failures. That have propelled you forward? Wow. Right. So, I mean, I, now that I'm forward, I don't call them failures. Right. So uh, they're lessons. When they were happening, right. Lessons. So, you know, found out I was having a child at 16 years old. Right. And, uh, wow. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, your life's over, your biggest mistake ever, you're supposed to go to college and play basketball, right? And it was, like, uh, devastating. Like, oh, what I do? And uh, totally propelled me forward. Uh, my daughter constantly jokes all the time. She says, Dad, I'm proud of you. I watch you grow up. Like, it's like an inside joke between us. <laughs> <laughs> She's hilarious, right? I'm like, stop saying that. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, but kind of in a way, right? She was there when I graduated high school. You know, she walked across the stage with me, you know, for graduation. Like, she's been there for a while and um you know that was some people call it a mistake but uh it uh it propelled you know maybe focus and tighten up you know i made mistakes uh you know family wise whether it be uh you know in marriage we make mistakes all the time maybe raising your voice too loud or maybe not telling an absolute truth when you should tell absolute truth these are just mistakes that we make and you have the consequence that comes from those things and you can either you know move forward past the consequences or sit in them and just uh you know what was me and uh, mm-hmm. this is the biggest mistake ever and life's going to no I don't think like that you know it's okay you failed move on and how can we not do the same thing again <laughs> next time yeah. right um, but you don't know until you try you don't feel the pain until you fail and um, so that's one uh, there in business um, several uh, different mistakes uh, I had a car business at one point in time where I was selling used cars I was driving in New York City buying cars bringing them here to Delaware and reselling them I was driving them back with no tags on them. I was parking them in parking lots that I didn't own. And I was, some of the times they got towed away, uh, pulled over by police. These are mistakes mm-hmm. that you learn, right? But when you don't have any money for a parking lot, you just take the risk. Um, you know, even currently, like I said, we, we just talked about the factoring situation, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you misjudge a simple calculation. And then the factoring company says, no, more factoring for you. Now you're scrambling, trying to figure out how do I get all my people paid, payroll seventy five thousand or a hundred thousand dollars in a week. It's mm-hmm. Tuesday, and I got twenty grand sitting aside for it, 
and you got to scramble, right? And then um, you get through it, you say, <sighs> right? And you try not to do it again, ever again, right? And um, so these are things that you learn in business. Uh, we said part of that trial and error type of deal. You know, some some shots are, are a success. Sometimes you win, uh, but sometimes you fall flat on your face and you got to push yourself up, dust off, mm-hmm. and keep going. Just period. Yeah. You mentioned your faith earlier. Yes. Um, would you be able to talk about that? Oh, faith, man. Um, you know, I was born, I was raised in church, right? But I didn't learn um, who Jesus was until I was in my 20s. I was actually working in a school, um, working with youth, and I was reading the Gospels, like, for the first time. I was mm-hmm. a Proverb and Psalm guy before that, Old Testament guy, which is cool. Um, but I was reading the Gospels, and I got through Matthew, and I started learning about this guy, Jesus. And I remember calling my wife at the time. We were newly married. And I said, yo, babe, this guy, Jesus, is different. She said, what do you mean? I'm like, yo, he's dope. Like, he's a renegade, right? And she's like, yeah, right. She's like, no, right, okay, whatever. Like, you know, that's a crazy call. Like, you're like, what are you talking about, right? Everybody knows Jesus is dope. Like, nah, you don't understand. I'm reading. And he is dope. Like, he ain't with the mess. Like, he ain't what these people talking about. He ain't no religious, you know, guy hiding behind no cloth. He really out in these streets, right? This is how I'm communicating with the vernacular to how I talk, right? And um, so I'm le- learning uh, Jesus like he was a man of the people who was vulnerable, who exposed himself to his community first. And boy, did they take advantage of him. I mean, literally, he stopped and asked people often, you know, why do you follow me? Is it because you love me or for the things that I do for you? Mm. That's a huge question. That's a huge ask, right? And as a young leader, you got to look around like, yo, why are these people around? <laughs> right? Why are they here? Right? Yeah. And then you look through the passion of Christ. You learn these things about, like, man, he had disciples that he did everything for. I mean, risked lives, saved lives, brought their, you know, healed their family, fixed their family, fed them when they were hungry. And even him had people that betrayed him, like, to death. Right? And people that were, like, turning their back on him. And, like, people that said, no, Jesus, I would never turn their back on you. I'm like, this guy is a gangster. Like, this guy is, like, the original you know, world global gangster, right? He's the guy that, you know, we went against the Romans. Like, who goes against the Romans? No, just, die. just Jesus and Spartacus. That's yeah. it, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> those two guys, right? So I'm learning about this guy. I'm like, man, he's he's freaking amazing, right? So I'm going to say before that, I was a churchgoer, but I didn't become a Christian until I was in my 20s, right? Actually a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy, Jesus is amazing and it's dope, right? So um, my journey now is really just trying to emulate as much as, him as I can, right? Um, he was a trendsetter. He took risk. Um, he did things sometimes that weren't favorable. Like there was going to be an outcome. There's times where they told Jesus, "Hey, just stay here. It's comfortable. Like everybody here likes you." And he was like, "What? I gotta go. <laughs> you don't know who I am, Jesus, <laughs> right? It's people over there that hate me, hate God, hate themselves. I gotta go over there and rescue and save those people, right? And um, you know, you know, I'm not him by any means, but I try to emulate and try to learn as much as I can so that I can." Go through the barrier of fear. It's mm-hmm. easy to stay in your comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. But Jesus never did that. He always pushed the envelope to go somewhere further and further and further, you know, and uh, to spread the message that the kingdom of God is at hand and that we really should just love each other. And, uh, you know, hate and envy shouldn't be a miss, but hate mm-hmm. and envy came from him heavy, bro. And uh, as a leader, all of us will come a time where hate and envy comes for us. I mean, people closest to us will turn their back on us, stab us in the back, give us a kiss of death like they did Christ. And I'm the man that says, well, if they did it for Jesus, why don't I think they would do it for me? Like, I, like, it, mm-hmm. like I'm no, I'm definitely not better than him. Mm-hmm. And if people betrayed him, you don't think they would betray Paige? I'm just Paige, right? He's so, Paige. <laughs> just Paige, right? So that's it, man. So, yeah, faith is very, very important. Um, you know, COVID came and shook some things up for me and my family. 
you know, we uh, haven't been going to church as much as we uh, used to. Right. And mm-hmm. I've seen the differences in uh, some areas of life. And then my heart is to get back into uh, doing those things. My sons that are in music, you know, I'm pretty sure they'll end up playing some music in the churches or in our church. When we go back into the church more often, we were routinely, you know, twice a week goers. Um, and since COVID happened, when they dispersed from church for a period of time, we really haven't dove back into the church. But I still am big in, you know, the faith as far as like uh, yeah. giving and offering and things like that. So, yeah. What's the difference in your life when you do go to church versus when you don't, like in terms of maybe community or the way in which yeah. So, How does so, that affect your life? Yeah, man. So uh, I would say that, uh, you know, your vantage point is a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in church, you know, you bring it, you're seeing the troubles of fellow churchgoers, right? Mm-hmm. Believers, so to speak, right? And non-believers that are in church, right? Mm-hmm. And you have the empathy and sympathy for them. You're embracing them. You're praying for one another. And when you're not going as often, you're in the world and you're taking on the sometimes sympathy, empathy of the world, which is a lot. Right. The, the, the troubles of the world are so much more than the troubles of the church. I mean, people go through so much on an everyday basis. Just me sitting here in my restaurant, people will come in with the biggest woes. Right. Which is good because that was the evangelistic task that Jesus had. He didn't stand in the synagogues. He went out into the streets. Yeah. And that's where he met the lepers and the blind and the deaf. Right. All that stuff wasn't in a synagogue because they wouldn't let those people in. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. it's almost the same way now. So now we're like fully exposed to, you know. The world, the sins of the world, the worries of the world, and it can wear you out. It can wear you down also. So, you, you know, almost got to be prayed up, fasted up, and have a strong support team uh, around you. And, um, you know, so that's really it. What were some of the, um, if you don't mind me asking, some of the, you, like you mentioned how as perfect as Jesus was, well, he yeah. was perfect, um, people still betrayed him, and there are still, like, negative people, people hating on him. Yeah. How, how has that been for you? And how have you handled things like that? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I, there's lots of people that I've given the shirt off my back to, literally. You know, housing, fed their family, um, showed them how to make money for their families and uh, sacrifice things that I probably wouldn't sacrifice if I would have known what I know now. And those people have turned their back on me and uh, talked about me and done all types of things matter against me. And uh, those things hurt. I mean, they do hurt. For a second, it stings you and it makes you want to say, dang it, I wish I wouldn't have done all that. But then, you know, I look at Jesus. Jesus' attitude was never like that. He said, you should pray for those who hate you. He said, that's what makes us different than the non-believer. He said, the heathen can love those who love them and treat them nice. But our job is to love those and treat those well who hate us. And uh, mm-hmm. it can be tough, right? It is tough. That's mm-hmm. why they say it's the passion of Christ. And it took me a long time to realize that the passion of Christ wasn't just him getting beaten and drug around with a cross. It was the people that he looked at as brothers. When it came down to the crucifixion, turned their back on him and said, I don't know this man. That's pain. Yeah. And it happens, bro. And, uh, you know, right now we're going through a similar passion moment right now where people that I poured everything into are really just taking, you know, aim and target. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a big guy, so I'm a big target. But heavy is the head that bears the crown, right? <laughs> and, you know, I believe that, you know, you no know, weapon that's formed against me shall prosper. But I understand that weapons still will be formed. Yeah. People still will be shoot shots. But those shots that hit will not kill me. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll fall and get back up six or seven or eight or nine or a thousand times or however long it takes so that my children will know that, you know, all glory goes to God and, you know, righteous man continues to rise. So mm-hmm. that's really it. So, you know, Jesus is the example for me. There's other prophets and things in our scriptures. You know, I spent a lot of time even, you know, talking to brothers from uh, the Muslim faith and even the, the Jewish faith. And, uh, you know, they're talking about their prophets and things that we're doing. And we're sharing stories of prophets. And I realized that God just had a whole lot of men that were just wickedly faithful out here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, and Jesus came down and doubled down with a stamp like, all right, this is how, we, this is how you do it. If you just stay as close as you can to this walk, mm-hmm. you'll be all right. And I just want to stay as close as I can. I'm a man. I fall short, right, every day, every single day. Um, but the goal was just to get better every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like you're very resilient yourself. Like not that you're bulletproof necessarily as much as like, oh, yeah, um, you've taken a lot of shots over the years and gotten yeah. really tough. And I know that you've also talked about how you want to give your kids an edge. So yeah. maybe their life may not be as difficult, but at the same time, you're not letting down yeah. in terms of their development. Yeah. But how do you encourage your kids to have that type of grit or that type of yeah. um, also development in maybe rejection or yeah. uh, falling short? Yeah, man. Um, you know, you know, I, I looked at my son. Uh, his name is Ruben, uh, R.E.P. 4. He um, played the piano, right? He had this, mm-hmm. this like a mm-hmm. uh, concert thing in the middle of like, the playground in front of all his kids, friends, right, from mm-hmm. school. And, like, I'm looking at him, like, send him up there, you know, with the piano and the microphone, and all his friends are watching, right? And he's, you know, give him a song to play. Now, you know, he's eight years old. We could have gave him anything, like, you know, Mary Hello Land, whatever. It's Beethoven, right? <laughs> Let's try this Beethoven, son, right? So he chose Beethoven. I'm like, hey, go for it right now. I know how that works. You know, it's the first time he's ever played in an audience bigger than four, Right. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's watching him. It's outside. The acoustics are different. This is not his piano. This is a new piano. And it's just go. And um, I knew it was going to wear him out. I knew it was going to burn him out. I knew it was going to feel like, dang, I didn't do it. And he messed up. Right. He didn't hit it as well as he knew he could hit it. But after he, he messed up, I knew that pain that he felt. It was like, dang, I put all this work in. All mm-hmm. these people are watching me. I let my parents down there here. My grandmama's here. That feeling right there. And I realized. For a second, I wanted to just drive him off stage and say, it's okay, son. But I realized he had to feel that. Mm. He had to feel that. I mean, he had to feel that burn, that feel, all the emotion that comes with that. That's going to give him that grit and that edge where he doesn't, when he doesn't want to practice, I got to keep on going because I don't want to feel that ever <laughs> again. Right? So the reason why I doubled down on children because I remember that feeling of, where's mom? Where's dad? Right? So I make it apparent like, hey, I'm right here. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, you know where we are? We're at the restaurant today. We got this going on, right? I want to be at everything because... See that 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 grit can I got that grit from that feeling. Mm. And if someone took that feeling from me, maybe I'd be like some of the other dads out here. Oh, the kids are cool. I'll see them when I see them. No, right? So, you know, our children in different areas, whether it be music or sports, you know, when you're sitting on the bench all game watching people that you think you're better than play. And I said, if you were the best, you wouldn't be on the bench, son. These are conversations that we're currently constantly having, right? So we're always put into the test and they're gonna fall and they're gonna fail. Remember, trial and error. And I embrace the error. We talk about the error. You know, why do you think that happened? Right? When I see him slacking on her practicing, when, when, when my son says he don't go to basketball practice, my wife would say to him, she's an all-star athlete, she say, hey, you want to be good or not? Because if you want to be good, you got to be, you got to work hard. You got to practice. You can't be missing. Right? Mm. So these are certain things we just kind of instill in them. Uh, my, my daughter, like I said, she's a godsend. 
like she just works hard. Like I don't know, like she just <laughs> she just doesn't stop. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, hey, you want to relax? She's like, no, right? And again, like I said, we kind of, you know, she kind of picked that up um, along the way. So how do you deal with burnout? Burnout, right? I try to avoid it, but it happens sometimes randomly, right? So yeah, I wake up one day, burnt out. I might come home one day, burnt out, right? Um, you try to avoid it, but when it comes, it comes. Um, you know, just in the past year, I started implementing like some vacations, you know, like, you know, small vacation here, trip here. My family and I just went to, my wife and I just went to Africa for a few days and, um, or about a week, two weeks. And, um, you know, just kind of experience some things, right? And even though it was an action packed trip and, you know, we still were kind of working remotely, it was a cultural immersion that I needed to kind of like reflect on some things. So, you know, like I said, burnout does happen. My goal is that, you know, when I'm 45, 50, I won't have to do all this, right? I'm working so hard right now so that way, you know, by that time I can relax and do whatever I, my heart wants to do. Right now, um, we're just pushing through a whole lot just to find out what is going to be the thing that actually carries me into retirement if that is a thing. I'm not sure if it is or not, but, um, you know, so but burnout does happen. Some days I just don't feel like it. I push through it, um, but some nights often I just crash on the couch, fully dressed, and I wake up the next morning, like, ah, you know, you brush your teeth, wash the face, you know, if you got time, take a shower, right? and then you just run, you know. Um, but, yeah, the goal was to get to that level of, like, peace and comfort. But right now, like I said, we're running. We are running. Mm-hmm. How, so how far do you think you are from there? I would say uh, seven years. Seven years. I'll say seven years. What happens? Uh, what needs to happen in seven years? So, uh, we need a residual income, passive, coming in, of about two million dollars a year. I want to see a thousand people working within our network, like every single day. Mm-hmm. Money is one thing for me, but impact is another thing. I really want to stamp the community. I want to stamp the world with. Hey, we're an army. We're a force to be reckoned with. Um, that passive income will allow us to give more, travel more, see more, learn more, take my whole family on these cultural immersions just mm. versus just me and mine. Um, I'm not the guy that thinks I'm a, you know, die with a billion dollars sitting in a bank account. You know, I'm the guy that wants to really go around the world one day and, and philanthropically help change certain things. When I travel the world and I see people that are impoverished, they don't have, their kids are hungry and feet are hurting, mm-hmm. man, it touches me. I want to get off the bus and like, hey, let's go spend some money with them. Forget the resort. Let's go spend some money with these people. They need it. They're like, nah, we can't let you off because they might kidnap you. I'm like, I'm 6'5", 300 pounds. Nobody's kidnapping me. <laughs> <laughs> right? you know, but but that's a, you know, I've got that type of heart, that type of passion, right? And I know my children um, had those same type of hearts, those same hearts and that same type of passion. So we want to build it up to where we can passively have income coming in to where we can do the things that we want around the world, not just here in Delaware, United States. You know, I believe the globe needs to have that type of passion um, spread across it. That's really powerful. Um, can you share with me specifically what your mission is? Like when you and your wife laid out that business plan, and what, where you guys want to see your lives. Yeah. Like, what was the mission and the core values that formulate what your future will look like? Yeah. So, my wife, she just joined us 
in this business about a year and a half ago, full time, I mean, about a year ago, full time, mm-hmm. right? She's always been a, a huge support, always been right by my side. Like, honey, I know you can do it. Like, you're the, you know, Superman, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, I'm like the, the superhero in her eyes. And, you know, she's one of the people I always want to show I can do it. You know, I want to please and, hey, babe, we did it, right? So um, she's young. She's 35, 36 years old. And in seven years, she'll be 40, 42, 41, 42 years old. And uh, my children are, are growing. So in our business plan, right, my plan has always been to, by 40, really shut down and like be, be done. It's always been 40. I've always said 40, 40, 40. Now, certain things happen globally that you don't anticipate, like COVID shuts the world down. Like you can't, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the Great Recession happened. So things happen that may set you off course, but it's like, okay, do I compromise and say, okay, that took seven years off, eight years off, 10 years off, I'm moved from 40 to 50? Or do you say, I'm going to double down and go a little harder to see if I can get still to that number, right? And now I'm kind of at like 44 mm. is the number, right? Because of certain things that have happened, right? But um, ultimately, I've always wanted to go to Africa and buy land there, um, uh, uh, be a part of the community there, build schools, have, you know, compound type of uh, structure there. Um, ever since I was a kid, I would tell my wife when we were early on, Africa, Africa, Africa. And uh, Ghana is the place that we kind of have identified as a place where we want to go. We're going for the first time in June of this year. We just came back from Egypt. Um, uh, but I'm taking my uh, whole family, you know, God willing. Uh, inshallah, as my mm-hmm. brother who just left here says, right, um, taking the whole family to uh, Ghana so they can see Ghana uh, for the first time and see people with our roots. Um, our family, my wife and our families have descended from um, uh, indigenous persons of America slash Africans who have come here through the um, Trans-American Slave Trade. So we want to go and see those parts of that journey, you know, and show our children that the grit that some of our people mm-hmm. had to have just to even still be alive, right? Um, go to that point of no return in Africa and see where the ships docked and look across the water, that endless horizon of, wow, we came all the way across there. Yeah, and it wasn't in this, you know, four-star you know, resort type of thing that we, you know, call now. But, yeah, so that's what we want to do. It's always Africa is a huge part of the future um, uh, uh, for me. Um, my children will make their own decision at that mm-hmm. point in life. You know, my, my job is to cultivate them water now to where when they turn 18, 19, 20, 21, they can say, hey, do we like Africa or do we want to stay here? You know, no pressure. But dad's going to be kind of back and forth, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that's, that's that's a huge part of it. Um Education is a huge part. I was like a teacher for a long time. Schools are going to be in the future, having our own schools, educational structures, um, uh, uh, entrepreneurialism uh, is a huge part. Teaching people about entrepreneur uh, freedom is all in everything that we do. We just want people to experience freedom, the freedom of success, but also the freedom of failure. You mm-hmm. can't have success without failure in my book. I don't know if there's some other people who've done it without failing, but, you know, I want people to have the freedom to do a little bit of both. Where did the um, passion for education come from? <laughs> it's a funny story, right? So I was in special education. Uh, I couldn't read until, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old. Like, really, like, not read. Like, I, I remember being in class in fifth grade and them giving me a dictionary saying, turn to, like, I don't know, say turtle. I looked at the book. I couldn't find it. Right? I'm like, I don't even know how to spell turtle. Right? I was probably, like I said, fifth grade. So um, the people who raised me, they were older 
And the uh, lady had a seventh grade education. The husband had an eighth grade education. And they were like, you know, 50 years my senior. So education really wasn't on mm-hmm. their list of things to do. So me being in special education classes, looked at it as being called dumb, being called stupid, yeah. you know, not being able to keep up with any of the read-alouds in class. Like when they would say, all right, everybody read along, I would act up. I'm talking about throw the books, kick the desk, get sent out because I could not keep up. Like they would come to me and say, okay, Mr. Jones, your turn to read. Oh, I'm going to tear this place apart. You know, don't ask me to read, right? So it wasn't until around sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, I got together with a lady named Ms. Fitzgerald. She was my one-on-one paraprofessional. And uh, she was assigning me because of behavior and also because I was a special ed. And uh, her job was just to redirect me. You know, whenever I was about to act up or act a fool, what she called it, she would say, hey, hey, you don't got to do that. It's mm. going to be okay. Come on. Come on in. Right. And I would, um, over time, learn. And I would settle down. And uh, I learned how to read and learn how to, you know, progress through classrooms and not get kicked out. Um, but, again, you know, education uh, is very, very important. My mom used to say education can be fun, but it's not a joke. Um, my mom wasn't, didn't go to college. My dad didn't go to college either. Uh, uh, but like I said, reading was just something I struggled with. I still struggle with, mm-hmm. even to the day. I mean, I probably read less books from cover to cover than any person I've ever met. I'm probably like two books in. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as comprehension, I got it. But speed-wise, I'm, I struggle. If I'm reading, watching a movie with subtitles, I'm like, ah. Rewind that for me, <laughs> you know, catch up with it. But, um, you know, going into education and seeing that other children have these same challenges and me being able to talk to them at their level, like, hey, it's okay. I struggle with that too. And helping them push through it. When you look in a kid's eye and see that, wow, yeah. they got it. Well, he got it, right? Uh, math is kind of my thing. So if I can show somebody a way to trick you, get through some math and they, they get it, I'm like, perfect, right? So I, I, I see the uh, advantage or the, the importance of helping children understand um, something they wouldn't understand unless someone actually took time out to educate them. So an educator, I'm an educator at heart, no matter if it's in sales, no matter if it's insurance, no matter if it's in chess, no matter if it's in mathematics, I truly want to teach someone who didn't know how to. And then when they get it and I see them like getting it, I'm like, perfect. It's good. You know, you know, selfishly it kind of, you know, it helps me, you know, overcome some things personally. No, it sounds like you get a lot of fulfillment in pouring into other people. Yes. And whenever you find people who want to be poured into, that seems like the the hardest thing that people who want to give to others come across because, you know, you find people who don't take it seriously and then, you know, they waste your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, time, time, yeah, wasting time is, uh, wow, I, I, hate, I hate to waste time, like any time at all, right? And uh, yeah. But is there people who want it, you want to give it to them as quickly as you possibly can. People who don't, you kind of want them just to go on about their business, come back when you're mm-hmm. ready. That's kind of it. Yeah. You hit it right on the head. Yeah. What's it been like in terms of, you know, you being a mentee to a mentor to now, you know, being a mentor to other people, like in terms of finding people who want to learn from you? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> so as a mentee, I've had, like I said, I've had several, right? Mm-hmm. So in education space, my first mentor was a guy named Harvey Harvey, mm-hmm. who really sold me on becoming a educator. He said that a black man in America that can educate or teach is invaluable, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, I would ask him questions all the time when I was teaching in the classroom. I would call him up and ask him questions. When I was doing administration work, I would call him and ask him. And really, whatever he said, I would do, right? Yeah. Um, in, 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 the, in the financial realm, uh, when it came to insurance investments, I had mentors. I got him, Kevin Washington. Uh, Art Williams is my mentor in um, 
you know, business. So I try to emulate as many of the things that he tried to do in my personal business. So I kind of track mentors down. I've got a guy named uh, Norman Oliver right now, who's a mentor of mine, who's mentoring me and really just the uh, personal skills of business, like actually making people feel great, making people want to answer your phone calls when you call them. Right. So I'm trying these things. And whenever you're trying something new, it kind of hurts for a little bit. You're like, whoa, ain't easy, right? Because you see these guys doing it like just floating kind of like yeah. that tailor was in the suit shop. Who was, you know, I didn't know how to do that stuff, right? And was, I would try it and I would mess it up. Like first time I would say, you're a 42 Jackie. Like now I'm a 50. You're like, whoa, right? <laughs> so, so, so it's the same way um, now. Like it's like, okay, I'm a, a businessman. I'm, I see another businessman. I'm identifying this guy as a mentor. He's floating like a butterfly. And the way he's doing it, I've never done it. I'm going to try it. And I'm like messing this thing up. And I'm calling this guy. but like, yo, bro, that didn't work. Oh, it's because you didn't do it enough. What do you mean do it enough? He says, you got to at least fail like 20 times at it before you know what you're doing. I'm like, whoa. Right? So it's tough. It's never, you'll never, ever stop being mentored. You always have to have someone that, you know, you're following, you're asking questions, mm-hmm. or you're calling them early in the morning or late at night. And getting advice from them. Well, so for me, like I said, I've got a couple, a few. And, uh, you know, this guy that I'm working as a mentor right now, like, you know, it costs. Because he's, he's like, time is money. Time is money. And, like, he calls. He wants you to pick up. And he says, meet me here. You got to meet him there. Um, um, but, you know, this guy, he's he, he's sharp. And I just think, you know, God, for the men who've taken time out in my life to actually mentor me. And yeah. been patient while I've went through the pain of change in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And for my mentees, the same thing. I've, I've had to learn that if you make it easy for a mentee to meet with you, they're not actually benefiting from the importance of meeting with you, right? So I'll challenge a person who wants to be a mentee of mine, call me at 5 a.m. Call me at 5.30, right? I mean, literally, is, yeah. is my time worth you getting up earlier, Wow. right? I'm not saying meet me at the Sears Tower, you know, New York City, or pay $1,000. Just wake up mm-hmm. at 5.00. And call me with your questions. And you'll learn soon who's ready and who's not ready. Wow. Right? And uh, so that's kind of how, how that that's thing really works, right? Advice. You basically tell them, I'm going to run at this time. You want to come run with me? That's it. That's, that's I'm it. I'm not running any other time. That's it. I, that's it. I wow. only, if you call me after 530, I'm not going to answer. And the ones who are ready will call you at 530. They'll set an alarm clock. Oh, my gosh. That's genius. Yeah. I learned that from a mentor. <laughs> yeah, oh so God. I learned I learned that from a mentor. Yeah, man. But uh, that's how we're doing, man. So you know, like I said uh, it, it's fun. Um, I met you when I met you. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I came to your office and saw you guys rolling around. I'm like, whoa, these guys are sharp. You guys are all standing up, got computers, triple screened up, and <laughs> I'm like, this team is rolling, man. And uh, you know, you guys work together as a team in tandem. It's impressive. It's like a breath of fresh air. It reminds me of how I was and my team, like, really young, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just pray that you guys stay tight as a unit. I, I gave you some advice, mm-hmm. you know, um, that I wish I would have had early on in, in, with your relationship. Just be as transparently open as you can be, even when it's a hard thing to do, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we got this big, hairy, bodacious, ambitious goal in our heart that we're afraid to share with people because mm-hmm. we think they're going to be like, you're crazy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just share it. It'll be okay. Yeah. Right? It'll be okay. But yeah, man, you guys are doing a lot of good things. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate Thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Could you like uh, give us some type of advice that you maybe give to your know, young page 
if you were to look back, you know, young you, page, you going back uh, like yesterday you know. page or like uh, no, we're, <laughs> we're, we're talking like sixteen year old to eighteen. What what kind of advice would you give yourself like graduating high school to then you know switching over to, to being that from being that salesperson to business yeah, person twenty four? I would tell them the truth is okay. You know, um, just period. You know, lying is a habit that um, once you start, it's hard to break. Okay. And a lot of times, you know, you learn those things early. Like when, you know, you live in a situation that's not favorable to the school system and they ask you, hey, how's your living situation? Well, you're taught to lie and say whatever you think they want to hear. But that's a habit, right? So you learn to kind of silver tone your way mm-hmm. out of situations at an early age. And, um, you know, I was very good at that and still am good at that. And sometimes, you know, you find yourself compromising integrity because you're not necessarily being 100% truthful. Maybe not maliciously trying to harm someone, but it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. It's okay to say, I don't have it. It's okay to say, actually, I want a billion dollars, not a hundred million. And Mm -hmm. for people to look at you and, are you crazy? It's okay to say, when I'm 50, I want to live on in Africa. And have a palace overlooking the ocean with armed guards and housekeepers. And people look at you like, it's okay to say that, right? So um, if I can tell my young self, tell the truth more often. And um, uh, do sooner. Do sooner. Um, what do you mean by that? We have thoughts. And a lot of times we hesitate. To take action on those thoughts. Yeah. And then you'll watch that thought being taken advantage of by someone else maybe two years later. And you'll kick yourself in the rear end. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, man, I had that thought. Why didn't I do it? You know, maybe it was a fear. Maybe it was a doubt. Maybe it was a disbelief. Right? And um, now I kind of do relatively quickly. Yeah. But when I was younger, I was afraid of a lot of things. I was afraid of what people would think. People who knew my background, knew how I was brought up, knew I didn't have a college degree, knew I couldn't read well. People who were in class with me mm-hmm. in special ed. Yeah. Oh, don't let none of those special ed people come to my meeting and say that they were in class with me, <laughs> yeah. right? No, these these things those hinder. So so just do it and don't worry about what people are gonna think about you while you're doing, as long as you're doing it with good and right intent. Also, I would tell younger me, um, tell your wife, your mother, and your children that you love them every day hmm. and show them every day, every day. Cause you don't know which day is going to be the last day on either side of the fence. Right. Um, I'm pretty good at that now, you know, but I was cold when I was young, colder, right. My, my younger children don't know that, but my older or oldest does. Yeah. And, um, she's a little cold. Like a Terminator, the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah. But um, you know, just just you know, love more and tell people and show people that you care more often. I I've honestly feel like I learned so much about you and uh, improved myself in terms of leadership abilities. Just watching you and hearing from you and how your brain and uh, your mind works, I think it's super amazing. Everything that you've done in your life in terms of your business, your kids, what you're doing for the community. Like I, I love everything that you're doing. I feel like we really align and got a lot of things that overlap one another. Like I'm looking forward to, you know, participating. Now, honestly, like I really want to 
be a volunteer and some of the things that you're doing with Lulu's schedule, you know, yeah, that's, that's super awesome, man. And, uh, I just wanted to open up the floor for you and, um, you know, whatever you're looking for, yeah, I just want you to put it out there and, um, share whatever you want to share. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, man. Um, I would like for, uh, my, 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 oh, sorry, that freezer is killing me. It's okay. So, so, um, so we're in the restaurant and the noises are going on, but it's, so we said we're good. So we're good. So, you know, vulnerability is something that's difficult for most men. Yeah. To expose your weaknesses. And I think one of the reasons why is because you don't want people to take advantage of those weaknesses. Yeah. Right. So you hide them. You don't want the enemy to see you hurt. But sometimes you like put those same guards up against people who are not your enemy. Yeah. Who actually care about you and who don't mean you harm. But you get told back in your mind, I was like, well, they care about me today. Or they're going to care about me tomorrow, six months from now. So you kind of hold things close to your chest. So one thing I worked on and I'm constantly always working on, be a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. But when you're more vulnerable, you will be taken advantage of a little bit more. You know, back to that guy, Jesus, that we talked about early on, he was vulnerable, laid it all out. And people took advantage. Yeah. Talked about him, treated him bad, locked him up beat them, right? And if I'm truly a follower, maybe some of that I'll get. But it's like, am I ready? Is my family ready for me to get those type of hits and stripes, right? Um, I'm truly an optimist at heart. I believe that everything will work out. From where I come, I can't even believe the lifestyle that my family and I live right now. Honestly, I'm the guy that says, if it all goes away tomorrow... Thank God it's been a great run and I can't wait to come back and get it again. Mm -hmm. I'm that guy, right? The challenge comes in. Does everyone see it that way? Feel it that way. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so optimism is a huge part of like just how I am. Uh, I, I see the glasses half full. I see that every opportunity is a, a chance for you to get better. Even if you fail, if it doesn't work, you learn something, right? I'm the guy that doesn't really learn from a book. I learn from the experience, right? I'm the guy that if somebody writes a book and someone tells me, hey, Paige, you got to read this book. This is for you. I'm the guy that calls the publisher and asks, how many books do I have to buy to get a lunch with the writer? And they might say, I don't know, 500 books. <laughs> I'll buy all 500. And maybe he'll fly out and sign them. And my kids will get to meet them. And I'll drill them on the drive from the airport for an hour, one-on-one. -on -one. And to drive back to the airport. And everything he wrote in that book, he'll tell me face to face. And the stuff he didn't write in the book, he'll tell me. The stuff the editor took out, he'll tell me. And I learned that way. I learned very well that way. And um, so now I'm just looking to put that type of stuff back out into the universe. You know, constant effort, constant work, constant trying, constant failing, and being able to share the failures. That's something I've hid in my younger life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Page, don't tell nobody you did that. That was stupid. <laughs> Hall page, don't tell nobody about that one. That was dumb. But for my children, I want to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, listen, these are all the things your dad tried that absolutely do not work. <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, I failed so many times. And those are things that, you know, I think will help them if they adhere to it. But who knows? They may say, well, dad, that failed when you tried it, but I'm going to make it work. Mm -hmm. You know, so we'll see. But, uh, yeah, vulnerability is key. Optimism is key. Uh, belief in people. 
is daggone key. It's yeah. tough to believe in someone that you can't actually go into their body and see their actual mindset. Well, believing in someone based on what they say and how they act is, is, is very important, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's a sign of vulnerability. It's a side of vulnerability too. Just because they say it doesn't mean they'll do it. You don't know until you know. And uh, yeah, it's it's, it's it's a part of it. It's a part of it, you know. And like I said part of my journey and part of my growth again is to increase my vulnerability. I gotta be. I gotta put myself in front of more people. I've never ever ever done a podcast ever. I'm Mr. Not on social media. Yeah. Right? I'm Mr. Don't go to parties. Don't go to clubs. I got to go to a small church that has like 50 members in the country. Right? I am the Mr. Shadow Man behind the cloud. Pass. Why isn't your name on it? Because I don't want you to know who I am. Right? So, but this year, um, you know, I was asked, you know, why? Why now do you want to come out and do a podcast? Why now do you want to be on social media, why now? I said, because I was up one night watching YouTube and I saw these guys and they were talking about all these scams on how you can become a millionaire and make money and build a business. And they were lying. Mm-hmm. But it was like a million and a half people who watched this thing mm-hmm. like, like over in a week. And I'm like, this is a bunch of crap. And I got sons that watch YouTube. I'm like, I don't want my sons watching this crap. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to step up and be able to tell these guys that these scams ain't right, mm-hmm. that these lies are, are trash, right? Someone who's actually built a business, you know, multi-million dollar business from the ground up with not scamming anyone, not taking advantage of anyone, not harming anyone, it's possible. And I figured, you know, my background, you know, being where I came from, you know, it lines up with these guys. You know, things they see in their community lines up with these guys. But the conduct of how we carried our business mm-hmm. out is totally different than how a lot of these guys are doing. We ain't ripping off nobody, scamming nobody. You don't have to to be successful in business. You can become a millionaire literally 48 months, 24 months from right now without taking advantage of one person, right? Just by doubling down on what your purpose is and building a team. And that's what I teach all my teammates. And I've had literally right now we got people making 100 grand that I've taught got a lady who's probably going to make her first million dollars a year. I'm talking about profit over the next 18 months, right? And um, it, it's, it's a real thing. And I, eventually, I want to go out and teach these things, you know, to individuals who are willing to learn to listen. They're going to have to get up early, mm. you know, <laughs> 4 yeah. or 5 a.m. But if they're willing to learn to listen, we can teach it. Uh, my wife, um, this is her first year in business. She just started in June. And her business this year will, will probably do $3.5 million. In gross mm-hmm. receipts, you know, she probably profit nine hundred thousand, something like that, and uh, she's brand new, right? Just figuring this thing out, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so we're looking to literally every year uh, produce a new um, half a million dollar earner, my profit in their pocket between now and the next seven years. And by us doing that, you know, we should be financially free by that point. That's awesome, man. Thank I really you. appreciate you taking the time to allow sure. us to do this interview with you and spending this time together. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Let's wrap things up. All yeah. right. Hey, is there anything, uh, now that you are on social media doing your first podcast? Yeah. Wait, this is the first one, right? This is oh, it. This is it. Yeah. This is it. Killing it. Um, is there anything that you want to put out to the viewers, um, that they could help you try and accomplish what you're, what you're looking for? Yeah, for sure. You know, follow me on Instagram at page the CEO. 
Um, I think my Facebook tag is uh, Ronnell Page still. We're going to work on sprucing that up. We've got uh, several other uh, social medias. We have uh, past educators. Uh, we have a uh, uh, past colonial, past Brandywine, past Delaware, uh, past charter schools. These are our tags for the school networks that we're in. Uh, page the CEO is a page where I'm going to really start doubling down, teaching people how to become a CEO, how to maintain a CEO ship. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning, and as I learn, I'm going to just pour that information out. Um, on the social media platform and hopefully with the help of some other uh, person that knows social media, we can really spruce this thing up. So I'm excited for the journey that we're going to take over the next uh, seven years. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch, you know, but I start getting back in the gym, get my, my health together, right? Cause wealth, health is wealth. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, for the last, I must literally say, honestly, five years, I've been more so focused on building business, building a team, making sure the family's intact. And, um, now it's time that that's happened to really focus on getting back in shape and getting the diet right and, and working out right. Um, so um, I'm just excited about the journey, excited about the run. And uh, please follow me. Again, hashtag team page. Um, you can follow us that way also. But uh, page the CEO on uh, social media platforms. Boom. There you have it. This has been the Not Genius Podcast. Peace and out. Peace. See you guys. Awesome. Fellas.